Hello, everybody, and welcome to the December 11, 2020 edition of Peaceful Globalist Review. I'm your host, the Peaceful Globalist, Ephraim Josie. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we're going to start by talking about a man who I think is going to be big in the 2020s. I think this man, I don't know if he'll be the next president. I'm not going to say that. I do think he is going to be in politics for a very, very long time. Okay? Like, this is the kind of man who you're going to see all around for the next five ever, at least. Uh, this is from The Hill. Andrew Yang telling New York City leaders he intends to run for mayor, New York Times. Uh, that's because New York Times broke the story. Now, if you don't remember who Andrew Yang is, I kind of don't blame you, but at the same time, I kind of do. Uh, Andrew Yang was a Democratic presidential candidate for 2020. He was the guy running on UBI, and he was the guy who never really got to, like, more than 3 or 4% in the polls, but everyone who liked him loved him. Like, wow, they they wanted Andrew Yang. Um, He was the guy who, like, wore the math pin. Uh, his slogan was something like, not left, not right, forward. Uh, and then later he became not left, not right, not running. <laughs> and he dropped out, I think, I think it was around the same time all the other candidates did. Um, which, hey, what you gonna do? But I knew from when I first saw Andrew Yang get that popularity, get this cult of personality around him, that he was going to be a big candidate in the 2020. And truth be told, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about him. Um... His ideas seem to be more based on helping people adapt to a modern society as opposed to completely dismantling it. There are people like Josh Hawley and Tucker Carlson who just want to dismantle all of society. Yang is a tech bro, and he does seem very interested in the future, and he's sitting there saying, well, no, wait a minute, if there are self-driving trucks, why not let them exist? And then as a result, we can have more people you know, just be artists or something. And that's kind of what UBI was supposed to be for. It was supposed to be, he called it the freedom dividend, in large part because it meant that you had the basic necessities and you had the freedom to pursue your own interests, as he continuously put it. Now, I don't know how I feel about UBI, but I will say he doesn't strike me as a Luddite in the same way someone like Josh Hawley does. And I should note, I've confused him for one in the past because his rhetoric can be really similar, but I don't think he goes quite far enough, although I will be keeping an eye on him. Okay, I will be keeping an eye on him. But generally, he seems to be the kind of guy who wants us to move forward, but isn't quite sure we can do that in a fully unregulated free market society, which is an argument I'm sympathetic to and one I'm fine with. Um, but no, here is what I was saying at the time. Uh, so on November 21st, 2019, I tweeted, If Yang is smart, he'll use this momentum, this is a response to him reaching fifth in the polls at 4%, uh, to and run for a federal position, House or Senate, in 2022. 
And then, let's see, we have the day he dropped out, February 12th. He said, I don't think we've seen the last of Andrew Yang. Expect him to run for either governor or senator of his home state before the decade ends. And then um, the next day, Ultimate History Hub tweeted, In a shit show of an election season, Yang might have lost, but he certainly left with his image better than ever. And then I said, the 2020s will be the decade of Yang. And then, on the 19th, as CNN tweeted, CNN welcomes businessman and former presidential candidate Andrew Yang as a CNN political commentator, to which I just quote tweeted that with the caption, Decade of Yang. Um, because I do think Andrew Yang, despite what I've said about him in the past, and I do think he engages in some of the same rhetoric I dislike that I've attacked on this podcast before, like the, oh, um, they're taking jobs rhetoric of automation. Although, in a literal sense, he is kind of right. I dislike the framing of that discussion because it implies... It, that there's actually a set number of jobs in the economy. And as such, no, actually, if you have machines do jobs, they're just being taken from people. No, what's actually happening is the economy is going to grow as a result, and there will be new jobs that open up. Um, this fallacy, by the way, there's a set number of jobs in the economy. is called the lump of labor fallacy, and it's the same argument immigration hawks use all the time. But overall, I do think he is beneficial to the discussion, if only because I do like having a very expansive Overton window. I'm going to be blunt with you guys. I really do like having an expansive Overton window, and Yang was, even if I don't think he was saying right things, was saying the right things for the Overton window to open. Uh, but here's a story from The Hill. Former 2020 Democratic presidential candidate Andrew Yang is telling New York City leaders that he intends to run for mayor of the city, according to a report in the New York Times. The entrepreneur is reportedly expected to announce his bid next week, according to the newspaper. His would be the second Asian American candidate to run for mayor of the U.S.'s largest city. Yang has met with New York City Council Speaker Corey Johnson, Democrat, The Times reports, and spokesman for Reverend Al Sharpton told the newspaper that Yang's plane, or that Yang plans to meet with him next week. Uh, he's also listed Bradley Tusks and Chris Coffey, who worked for former Mayor Michael Bloomberg as, as advisors. Bloomberg was also a 2020 Democratic hopeful. So, essentially, this guy is running. Okay, these are all the signs of somebody running. I have no doubt in my mind after reading this that Andrew Yang is going to run in 2020, or is going to run for New York City mayor next week. Hell, I'm the 2020, so I was still technically right. I was still technically right. Dang it. <laughs> you can't take that from me. <laughs> in the New York City mayor election that takes place next year. That's what he's actually running for, but he'll be announcing at the end of 2020, so that, that still counts. Um, and I have very little doubt that either he's going to win or it's going to be very close. Okay, because as I said before, Andrew Yang, not many people wanted him, but the people who wanted him loved him. They loved this man. 
They thought he was an amazing candidate in every way, that he was saying all the right things. And that he was, just in general, an honest, nice guy. And my phone just went off. Anyway, uh, the people who did want him really wanted him. They really liked him. They felt he was honest. They felt he was what the country needed. And I was saying the entire time that Yang is the kind of person who has a great chance as president, or for running for president, but he needed to get off the ground first. No one had heard of Andrew Yang until he ran. And even then, no one heard of him until he was a good couple of years into his campaign. He announced his campaign, if I'm not mistaken, in 2017. Um, and you know what? That, I don't know if that was necessarily the best move on his part. Really. Although, the point was to say, hey, I'm not going to waste your time with an exploratory committee, and if I'm out there longer, I can get my name out there more, and all that. Um, but with that said, with that said, I do think if Andrew Yang were more well-known, he would have won the nomination. Okay? There's not really something you can hit Andrew Yang with, scandal-wise, to my knowledge. You can criticize his ideas, as I have. I don't know if UBI is sustainable. I don't know if it's possible. I think a lot of his left-wing economic ideas are a little off, truth be told. But with that said, I do think he is a likable character with a good chance of the election. And I do think if he does run, he's going to win. And I do think that if he does win, he's not going to stop at mayor of New York City. We are going to see another presidential run from Andrew Yang. Maybe it'll be in 2024 or 2028. Depends on whether or not Joe Biden runs for re-election. Although I've heard him say that he has no plans of doing so. That he's only going to be a one-term president. And at that time, you will see Yang as a frontrunner, as a big name. Make no mistake about it. This guy has momentum. And he is one of the few politicians I've seen whose momentum has never faded. Although, to be fair, he's only been in public life for a few years. But this man, his supporters will always be with him no matter what. You don't say Andrew Yang and then change your mind a week later. Okay? And if he can get enough people to say Andrew Yang just once, he can be the president. Make no mistake. I, I'm going to go out there. I think he will be either the Democratic nomination or even the president within the next two decades. I am going to say that right now. I do think that will be the case. And I have every reason to think that will be the case, considering this man is one of the most liked people in politics. I'm being dead serious when I say that. But yeah, Andrew Yang is an up-and-coming star within the Democratic Party, make no mistake. And we have not heard the last of him, even at his mayor of New York City run. Anyway, um, you guys remember, I predicted Biden was going to win 2020. Okay, I did. I thought it was a really good chance. I even went farther and said it was very likely the election would be called that night. That wasn't the case. I was wrong on that. Um, but still, Biden won eventually. Anyway, the point is, I was expecting to spend all day Wednesday absolutely like running my victory lap. Okay? Like, I was going to be watching Fox 
all day that day just to see the absolute meltdown. And instead, the meltdown turned out to happen for Rudy Giuliani, quite literally. Which, let me tell you, was an excellent surprise. That doesn't mean there still hasn't been some meltdown. Um, so, as such, that led to this clip from Rush Limbaugh, Media Matter, posted on Wednesday. And I'm going to be blunt. I think Bill Hicks said it best when he simply said, I hear scat muncher and I automatically think of Rush. It's just short and simple and to the point. And by the way, if you ever get the chance, look up Bill Hicks' Rush Limbaugh. It's the funniest thing ever. And it's still true. It's still true. To this day, it's still true. Um, but here is what Mr. Limbaugh, the scat muncher, said on his program on the night. And he said, <clears throat> All right, Mr. Sneedley is asking if we're going to be able to win. And he's talking about elections. Okay, good. Votes! Yeah, yeah I, I understand. Are we going to be able to win without taking back some of these cities? He's talking about blue cities, like New York City, Philadelphia. I, I assume I assume you mean Detroit. Uh, do, do you include Milwaukee in there? Uh, definitely. All right. I, I watched the clip, by the way. He is actually talking to somebody off mic at that time. Which is just a weird thing to watch. But that's kind of besides the point. I should also note, by the way, that Rush Limbaugh listing cities he knows is the most insightful he has been in his, what, 36 years on the radio combined? I think it's actually been even longer than that. Um, like, he's been doing this for almost 40 years now. And in that time, the first time I felt there was actually some insight into what he was saying was when he was listing cities he knew. Uh, but then we get to the good stuff. I thought you were asking me something else when you said, can we win? I thought you meant, can we win the culture? Can we dominate the culture? I actually think, and I've referenced this, I've alluded to this a couple of times because I've seen others allude to this. Oh, well, that's good. And by the way, I make fun of Rush's, like, talking here. And not, I'm also making fun of his voice, by the way, because his voice is really, really ridiculous. Um, sorry, I just really hate Rush Limbaugh. I just really hate the guy. Like, wow. It's really hard for me to stress how much I hate this guy. But I will note, I am making fun of, like, how he's speaking. He's doing a live broadcast, and, he's do and he does it for three hours. Like, if you wrote what I'm saying now into a transcript and you read it back, you could make similar jokes to, to me if you wanted. I'm just doing it because it's amusing and because it helps all the pain of reading Rush Limbaugh. Uh, I actually think that we're trending towards secession. <laughs> well, that came out of nowhere. I see more and more people asking, what in the world do we have in common the people who live in, say, New York. Um, the same thing you've had in common with them for the past 200 years? What is there that makes us believe that there is enough of us there to even have a chance at winning New York? Especially if you're talking about votes. Now, I should note, by the way, that neo-Confederate nonsense has been a common factor on the right before, 
if you remember back when Barack Obama was president, there were several Republican states, and I think one swing state, I believe it was Florida, uh, who were pushing around petitions, actually went to WhiteHouse.gov's petition page and got millions of signatures attempting to get states to secede from the U.S. I recall us fighting a war to stop that. And by the way, all of these states, I should know, like take a dollar eighty. Texas specifically, I think, takes like a hundred eighty percent of every dollar they send to the federal government. They're making a profit from the federal government, and they're still complaining. Like really. Uh, so my response was always, "Okay, let them try." It will be a great new reality show, don't get me wrong. It will be an amazing new reality show. And, you know, despite what you want to say about the radical left and how they responded to Donald Trump winning in 2016, whether it be with uh, the Mueller investigation or with the Woman's March, at the very least, those were mostly peaceful events. You know, they were things like people gathering around in groups back when that was still allowed. Uh, to protest the current president and to raise awareness for certain issues. Um, that was things like, in the case of the Mueller investigation, I was just making sure the president followed the law. And it led to several indictments. People keep forgetting that. Um, you know, there wasn't, nobody was calling for secession. I think California actually might have been. But it wasn't on the same level, at the very least, as it is right now, as it was in 2012. You know, you didn't see after George W. Bush was elected in 2000, elected, yeah, tons of people, <laughs> there are arguments he didn't even legitimately win. And yet nobody was saying in, like, Colorado, or is Colorado a blue state? No, Connecticut's a blue state, so we'll say that instead. Connecticut, or Rhode Island, or California, or New York, hey, we should secede from the country would be annexed by Canada or something. And then, it, just to get rid of George Bush. Nobody said that. Nobody said that. Uh, they were talking about taking their country back. Okay? These people lose, and the first thing they do is, they, they throw their hands up and say, well, guess we can't win here anymore. And they wonder why their ideology is dying. And they wonder why their ideology is dying. That's the funny part about all of this. You know, these people sit there and they say, we lost, let's leave the nation. And they honest to God wonder why they can't get a seat at the table anymore. You know, it's the same thing that always happened. There were claims of uh, liberal bias in news media. So what did conservatives do? They stopped attempting to be part of news media. And then there were more liberals in news media. <gasps> Surprise, Pikachu, not JPEG. Uh, what do you think was going to happen, you dumbass? Seriously. They leave Hollywood. It's surprised there aren't any more in Hollywood. Because you all left. They leave academia because it's liberal anyway. They get surprised when academia is mostly liberals and leftists. Again, what was supposed to happen? What was actually supposed to happen? You stopped arguing and got surprised that no one was arguing. Congratulations! You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of that American Dad episode. 
the one where Steve sets up a football team to go against the team his dad is a coach of, Stan. And then when Stan loses, he goes straight to killing himself. And it ends with Steve saying, I lose, I cry and get over it. You lose, you go straight to killing yourself. You know, what was supposed to happen here? Uh, but let's, let's read a little bit more of Mr. Limbaugh's insightful commentary. Let's, let's read more of what the scat muncher has to say. I see a lot of bloggers. I can't think of their names right now. A lot of bloggers have written extensively about how distant and separate and how much more separated our culture is becoming politically and that it can't go on this way. Oh my god. Okay, first off, I deny that's the case. Okay, I've mocked the we're more divided than everything for years. I haven't had the podcast for these, but I mocked it way before I had the podcast. Second off, you want to talk about the vision. Okay, let's talk about the vision, why don't we? Um, You might have heard of, I forget exactly what it was called. I think it was called, like, GoPack or something. Um, but it was this organization that encouraged Republicans to go more negative against Democratic candidates. I assume Rush has heard of it. Because it was led by a fellow named Newt Gingrich, and was done in 1994. Newt Gingrich then made Rush, like, recognized by Congress as this important figure. And he spent the entire time, he was Speaker, Newt Gingrich did, buddying around with Rush Limbaugh. Th that objectively happened. The divisive bitterness in politics that we see today, if it does exist, and again, I'm not even convinced it does, is a direct result of people like Rush Limbaugh and his buddies, and what his buddies, people like Newt Gingrich and Tom DeLay and Bob Dorn and Bob Dole, for that matter, were doing during the Clinton years. Really? But, oh my god! We're very concerned about the vision. You caused it, dumbass. And don't think, don't think that's the only time he's done it, by the way. This man was essential to the Tea Party's rise to prominence in 2010. Remember those guys? People like John Boner, or Boehner, sorry, Boehner. And Mitch McConnell, the obstructionist. Again, these were primarily bitter people, primarily divisive people, who were brought to power by Rush Limbaugh, but of course then when Republicans get into power, it's, no division, please! This guy has run stories for years calling Bill Clinton a murderer and a rapist, and everything bad he can think of. This man gave himself a hernia trying to not call Barack Obama any racial slurs. Okay? I don't want to hear shit about the vision from Rush fucking Limbaugh. He is one of the people who does not have a right to speak about it. I'm serious. I'm being dead serious. This is the man who, like, actually gave himself a hernia. Okay, I should know. Actually is not me saying actually literally. I'm saying actually metaphorically. I don't know this is true. I just assume it. Trying to not call Obama the N-word for eight years. But he's the man taking a brave stand against the vision. Go fuck yourself.
Go fuck yourself. This is the most angry I've been in a while. Uh, there cannot be peaceful coexistence of two completely different theories of life. Theories of government. Theories of how we manage our affairs. We can't be in this dire conflict without something giving somewhere along the way. Oh boy, did we learn that when people he propped up entered Congress. And I know there's a sizable and growing sentiment for people who believe that that is what we're headed. Whether we want it or not, whether we want to go there or not. To be clear, Rush Limbaugh really doesn't want to go there. He's just sitting there saying, yeah, it's probably going to happen and actively fucking promoting it. That's the other thing I always hate about Rush Limbaugh. He is one of the most... He gets this reputation as an extremist, and he is in a lot of ways. But whenever he says something big, he always prefaces it with, now, I don't like saying this, or I don't want to say this, or I don't like getting this angry. Some bullshit like that. It's always bullshit. It's always bullshit. He loves saying shit like this. The only reason anyone listens to his almost non-existent radio show. Hey, Rush, how's those ratings lower than college radio going? I myself haven't made up my mind. I still haven't given up on the idea that we are the majority and that all we have to do is find a way to unite and win. And our problem is the fact that there are just so many rhinos who are often, again, propped up by Limbaugh until, like, a year or two later when they're disliked. And then all of a sudden, they're rhinos. That's what he did with John Boner. That is what he did with John Boner. Or, I'm sorry, Boehner. You guys remember that? He spent, like, two straight years running segments about how wonderful the Tea Party is and how great they are and how you should all vote for them. Then Republicans get in, the Tea Party gets in, John Boner becomes Speaker of the House because of the Tea Party. Okay? And then, oh my god, John Boner, he's a rhino! Or, he's, he's too much of a coward to say Boner on his radio show. Oh my god, he's not standing up to Obama like he should. You propped him up, dumbass. Here's what rhino actually means. It's supposed to stand for Republican in name only. It doesn't make any sense, by the way. Republican's a name. You can't be a Republican in name only. Anyone you can be Dennis in name only. It means Republican who's unpopular. That's what it comes down to. You really think that if John Boner didn't get known as one of the most hated men in America, if Limbaugh would have been saying that about him? That's the thing. Limbaugh is not dumb enough to, to always defend very, very unpopular Republicans. I have heard him criticize Republicans before, he only does it, however, when they're so unpopular, when they're so unbelievably bad, that he that nobody will defend them. He'll gladly jump on the bandwagon then, just like he did with the aforementioned John Boner and Paul Ryan and Todd Akin. And again, I'm not saying he didn't deserve it. They certainly did. Especially Todd Akin. Or David Duke, that's another one. That, that was way back in the 90s, so that still counts. Even though his own, even though all his listeners then went out and voted for David Duke. Seriously, look that up if you don't believe me. 
Just can't get over this. So many Republicans in the Washington establishment who, who conveniently seem to keep changing, by the way, who will do anything to maintain their membership in the establishment because of the perks of the opportunities that are presented for their kids and so forth. Uh, so, in conclusion, Rush Limbaugh is one of the most disgusting human beings of all time. Um, and Bill and Bill Hicks was right to call him a scat muncher. I'm going to keep saying that because it's true. I absolutely... I'm just going to be blunt with you. The only joy Rush Limbaugh has ever brought me is seeing him melt down after... Republicans lose. And he can't even provide me with that anymore. He's degraded. I didn't think it was possible for Rush Limbaugh to degrade. He somehow has. And now, hearing him have a meltdown, it used to be the highlight of a Democrat getting elected. Just can't do it anymore. Can't do it. Now he's out there going to call him for secession and fucking... He's as dishonest as always, but at least he was... Oh my god, he's also delusional. No, he's just a lying pig. That's what it comes down to. Rush Limbaugh's a lying pig, and he's been a lying pig for the past 40 fucking years. And I'm going to uh, end this segment now before I actively start screaming fuck you at my camera. Okay, last story for tonight. You've probably heard all this stuff about a fellow named Brandon Bernard. Now, if you don't know who he is, he was a man who was executed last night by the federal government in one of the federal government's many execution sprees that's been going on recently. He didn't need the federal um, executions for over a century, but apparently in 2020, we just started needing them again. Apparently. I, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize it. But like in July, William Barr came out and said, actually, we need uh, federal executions now. Survived with them for over a fucking century. Now, just randomly, we, we need him again. And now, who is Brandon Bernard? And there has been a tendency, I saw this on MSNBC earlier today, to downplay his actions and say, oh, actually, he was the least culpable in the event. Oh, actually, um, he might not have even killed. No, he did. He is indirectly responsible for the death of one person and directly responsible for the death of another person. Um, I... Don't know all the details at this moment, although it's primarily because in my looking into it, there were a lot of details that were obscured. But the basic story is that um, this man and three buddies took to, um, I forget if they were pastors or not, they were highly religious people, and shoved them in the trunk of a car, drove them around for hours, and then shot both of them several times. The woman survived, and she was set on fire. Or was it set on fire? Was it the truck burned? Either way, it was a very gruesome thing. It was a horrific thing. And Brandon Bernard is responsible for that. I'm not going to sit here and deny that. I'm, however, also going to say that he was convicted in 1999. There were people who voted in the, in the last election who were born after Brandon Bernard was convicted. Okay, he was convicted 21 years ago. And we're supposed to believe 
that the definition of justice or the definition of morality or whatever argument you want to make for the death penalty is actually uh 21 years later we gotta we gotta um kill the guy and you know i see all of these people talking as if he had just committed the crime a year or two ago i saw somebody say well what about the grieving family of the people they killed or the people he killed well they grieved 20 years ago. Okay, there are people on this planet who are adults under the law who were born after they finished grieving. Okay, I... No offense to them. I'm sure their pain was very legitimate, or was very sincere, and it certainly was legitimate. I'm not going to sit here and pretend otherwise. I am going to say just pulling that out as an excuse is rather weak, to be honest. Like, we're supposed to actually believe that, hey, it was just fine to have him alive, you know, sitting in a prison cell for over 20 years. But if he had spent one more day in there, no, not only would justice have not have been served, but also there would have been crime and chaos and all the bad things. Oh my god. Oh no. Shut up. Just shut up. Um, and I emphasize how long ago his crime was, not to say that he reformed or turned his life around, um, because I don't know if he did. I hear he did. The jurors say he did. Five of them, in fact. Um, but I don't know. I don't know the guy. He could have been faking. I don't, I don't know. I don't care. Okay? My argument is essentially that this happened so long ago that killing him now is just pointless. That's the issue at hand. It's just pointless. And this has been my argument regarding capital punishment for years now. Um, we saw these people point out that, well, Dylan Roof is still alive, and yeah, Dylan Roof was sentenced much more recently. He committed his crime much more recently, for one thing. But also, why is he still alive if there's apparently this big need to kill murderers? You know, when I think of murderers, the name Brandon Bernard it's much more, like, of a, much less of a big name than Dylan Roof. Like, who did you hear about first? Dylan Roof or Brandon Bernard, in spite of the fact Bernard was convicted first? The answer is you probably heard about Dylan Roof first. None of the people who are sitting here celebrating Bernard being killed knew who he was until a week ago. If that. They probably didn't know who he was until yesterday, truth be told. And this has always been my argument regarding capital punishment. It's that, truth be told, it's utterly pointless. There is no point to it. What, what seriously, from an actual practical standpoint, is the point of capital punishment? What, just so the state can act as your own personal revenge apparatus? No, I, I don't take those arguments seriously. If your best argument for capital punishment is, well, the state needs to act as 
needs to do revenge on my behalf for me. Especially on crimes you're conveniently never involved with. Um, <laughs> I, I say conveniently as if I'm implying that it's hard to be, that it's hard to, um, not be a murderer. No, I mean that people are typically not involved with death penalty cases. And there are entire groups, by the way, of people who have family members who have been murdered and have criminals or bleh, and those criminals got death penalty who are against it. I should also note. Um, but no, this has been my point the entire time. What is the actual point aside from, I want the state to be my own personal revenge apparatus, which, if you want that, that's fine. I don't really care if you want that. That's not a belief I take seriously, though. I don't take the idea that the government is meant for nothing more than to be just this mechanism that exists for revenge, that a criminal justice system is just evidence of vengefulness. No, I, I don't believe in a system like that. I'm sorry, I just don't. You know, I keep pointing to examples of people who were never put up for capital punishment, and yet we somehow still survived. My go-to example is, of course, the fact that Charles Manson survived in prison for 45 years. And somehow we didn't lead to crime and chaos. Somehow the value of human life wasn't diminished. Somehow this and that and all the things that were warned will happen if we get rid of capital punishment didn't happen when Charles fucking Manson was sitting in prison for 45 years. They even put him up for parole several times. You know, they treated that man as generously as possible. Don't recall a big spree of murders going on at that time. I Going on when Manson was in prison. Really don't. Really don't. Uh, I, I just love these arguments. I really do. Because they're utter nonsense. No, but I don't even need to go to Manson. Brandon Bernard is a very good example. What was the point of executing him? He's already sitting in prison. You know, he's been sitting in prison for over 20 years at this point. All I'm saying is, hey, why don't we just keep him sitting in prison? Is that really that hard? Like, it's not a hard thing to do. Oh, well, if he sits in prison for a little bit longer, I'm going to have to pay for it first off. Unless, typically, you're not. Side note. But that's a different rant for a different time. He was being held in a federal facility, though, so yeah, you would probably would pay for it in this case. But normally when people use that argument, it's nonsense. Um, but okay, fine. I'm paying for tons of people I consider sociopaths or psychopaths. I think there are 500 psychopaths in Washington. And that that's a childish way of thinking, in my opinion. You know, that's a childish way of thinking. Side note. Oh man, we can't afford paying for one more sociopath. Sorry, guys. Also, for that matter, just want you to know that state has to act in revenge always, 24-7. On my behalf, of course. No, this is a childish way of thinking. The death penalty is basically based on childish arguments, as far as I'm concerned. And that's all for tonight. I'm Ephraim. See you on Monday.